Coming up on today's show, game three between the Islanders and Penguins last night, and ooh, it was a doozy. Who locked down the eight seed in the East, the Wizards or the Pacers? First round of the PGA Championship is in the books. Joe Shuda has yet another Rush of Friday feature. Shortly after 8 o'clock today, he'll catch up with former Baltimore Oreo Kiko Garcia. Kiko, today's guest on the Rush Friday feature. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off another essential workday, wrapping up yet another. I just say another. Is that a word? Another essential work week. Hold on one sec. All right. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, a couple of Twitter pages, uh, the show page at WCMD Morning Rush. Uh, my page at Rush Tony C, our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. Anytime you feel froggy, take the leap. Drop me a line, drop me a message. Got a question, comment, opinion. Shout out to somebody. Whatever. Just feel free. Also taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on on this funky Friday, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials. So you can go back. And listen to anything you may have missed, any show we've ever done. Well, except for one, but that's neither here nor there. All right, a lot of stuff to get to today. There was a lot happening uh, yesterday and last night. So let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with the Stanley Cup playoffs. Game three of the first-round series between the Penguins and the Islanders, and the game was tied late in the third period. Aston Reese's centering pass deflects behind the net. Back to Aston Reese, to the point. Letang, a shot deflection, a top to Crease. They score! Brandon Tannen bats it in out of midair. Turbo time puts the Pens in front late in the third. The call on the Penguins Hockey Network, Brandon Tanev, the game winner with uh, just over three minutes left in regulation. Pens win the game 5-4 and take a 2-1 series lead. Jeff Carter scored twice. Chris Letang, a goal and two assists. Evgeny Malkin, a pair of assists for Pittsburgh. Game four is tomorrow night on the island. Tonight, it's game four between the Capitals and Bruins in Boston. Uh, Bruins lead that series 2-1. You can catch the game right here on this very station. In high school sports, the MPSSAA voted in favor of a proposal to go forward with spring state championships in Maryland. Good job! 
all regular season records through June 3rd will be counted toward regional seeding for baseball and softball. Tennis and track and field tournaments will include sectional and regional rounds of qualifying or for qualifying. State playoffs will begin June 5th, everything wrapping up with the baseball and softball titles on June 18th and 19th. In boys high school basketball, the West Virginia Quad A All-State team was announced yesterday. Martinsburg's Doran Smith was named to the first team. The 6'3 senior averaged 15 points and 5 rebounds a game this past season. Elsewhere, Frankfurt's Mike Miller was named Potomac Valley Conference Girls Coach of the Year. One of his girls, Marie Perdue, was named PVC Player of the Year. Danny Alkire was named PVC Boys Coach of the Year. And one of his boys, Drew Keckley, is Conference Player of the Year. In college basketball, West Virginia will be one of eight teams taking part in the Shriners Children Charleston or almost said Charleston Catholic, Charleston Classic. I'm fairly certain Charleston Catholic won't take part in that tournament. Uh, it'll be held November 18th through the 21st in Charleston, South Carolina, not Charleston, West Virginia. Also in the field, uh, St. Bonaventure, Marquette, and new head coach Shaka Smart, Clemson, Boise State, Ole Miss, Temple, and Elon. A total of 12 games will be played in the tournament with the final two unbeaten teams to play for the championship. In the NFL, I told you there's a lot of stuff to get to today. The Washington football team released longtime starting right tackle Morgan Moses yesterday after granting him permission to seek a trade earlier in the week. Washington saves uh, nearly $8 million bucks in salary cap space. Moses, who had uh, two years left on his contract, started every game for Washington since 2015. In Major League Baseball, the slumping Pirates took on the slumping Braves for the first of four games in Atlanta. And a swing and a liner. That's through a base hit. Newman drives in the go-ahead run. Frazier up at second. RBI single for Kevin Newman. The Pirates lead 5-4 to four in the 10th. The call on the Pirates radio network. The Pirates tacked on another one in the 10th, and they beat the Braves in 10. 6-4. Jacob Stallings, a two-run home run. Adam Frazier. Four more hits for Pittsburgh, which snapped a three-game losing streak. Frazier is on fire. Atlanta has lost seven of its last ten. They are not on fire. Elsewhere, the Nationals were looking for a series split with the Cubs in Chicago. Here comes the 0-2. Hap hits one in the air to deep left center field. Going back is Stevenson. He looks up. This is gone. Number two on the afternoon for Hap. And the Cubs extend the lead 5-2 over the Nationals here in the fifth. The call on the Cubs radio network, two homers for Ian Happ as the Cubs beat the Nats 5-2 to take three of four in the series. Uh, Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber hit back-to-back homers for Washington, which wrapped up its seven-game road trip at 3-4. And And in Baltimore, Tampa Bay ran its win streak to seven games with a 10-1 win over the Orioles. Uh, Joey Wendell homer twice for the Rays, who swept the O's at Camden Yards for the first time since 2013. Uh, Baltimore managed just two hits off of Rich Hill 
and two relievers. The Rays outscored the O's 32-14 and outhit them 43-22 in the three-game set. And in the NBA, the Wizards and Pacers played a do-or-die game last night in D.C. Winner clinched the eight seed and a date with the 76ers. The loser uh, went home. Rebound Westbrook. And now he's igniting the break from left to right to the three-point line, to the free-throw line, lays it up and in. Timeout, Nate Bjorkren for the Indiana Pacers. Westbrook egging on the crowd inside of Capital One Arena. He's got 17. The call on ESPN Radio. Wizards blow out the Pacers 142-115 to to keep their season alive. A Russell Westbrook close to another triple-double. 18 points, 8 rebounds. 15 assists. Bradley Bill had 25 points for Washington. And that is your rock around the region. I told you there was a ton of stuff going on. Uh, brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. And that's what we'll start right now. We'll get things started today with the uh, basketball game last night. The Wiz uh, taking care of Biz against Indiana. And we mentioned this yesterday. That Washington swept the regular season series from the Pacers of three games to none. Washington averaged 139.6 points in those three games. So almost 140 points. Last night, they put up 142. Pacers simply just not good enough defensively to stop Westbrook, Beal, and company. With a complete look at last night's win in D.C., the guys who called the game on ESPN Radio, Mark Kessler and John Barry. Uh, the Wizards, J.B., had a horrible second half in Boston the other night, forced to play in the second play-in game, an absolute rout of the Indiana Pacers. Great bounce-back game, which Scotty Brooks really expected when we talked to him before the game. Yeah, as you would expect, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, who were as bad as the rest of their teammates the other night in Boston, they bounced back tonight, and uh, this just uh, this was not really much of a game after that second quarter run. Uh, they put it on them. Uh, they put up 142 tonight, but I'm more impressed with their defense. In particular, the three-headed center that they have in Alex Len, Daniel Gafford, and Robin Lopez. How about these numbers, Kesty? 12 of 15 from the field for 28 points. They had 23 rebounds and seven blocks between them. Uh, They were sensational. And they're going to need those guys because next up is a trip to Philadelphia, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, who got a great season from the MVP finalist, Joel Embiid. Yeah, I mean, you could maybe say that Washington is better equipped than any other team in the Eastern Conference to deal with Joel Embiid, with these three guys. Hey, they've got some strength. They've got athleticism. They could block shots. They run the floor. The best you can do against Joel Embiid is try to wear him out. And maybe these three three guys can do it. you got two all-stars, two franchise players in Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. Uh, you got a confident group that's been playing well for about a month and a half. And maybe you got something here. Well, it was a remarkable finish to the regular season. On April 5th, the Washington Wizards were 17-32. and 32. They won 17 of their last 23. They grabbed the 8 seed. They had to play two play-in games, but they blow out the Indiana Pacers 142-115, and they have a date with the Philadelphia 76ers. Game 1 of that best-of-seven series begins on Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia. Uh, Westbrook, uh, two rebounds shy of a triple-double after his less-than-stellar performance in that loss to Boston 
in the 7-8 game. He was uh, just 6 for 18 and only had five assists in that game. Head coach uh, Scott Brooks said after last night's game, it was a good bounce-back effort for Westbrook and the entire team. We were disappointed that we played the way we played in Boston. And everybody took took charge of, you know, ownership of that. And they wanted to come back better. And what's crazy is Russell didn't have a good game. And I've had so many text messages. Man, what's wrong with Russell? I said, what's wrong with him? He's had two months of being MVP numbers. He had a, he had a bad game. That's what's wrong. He's, he's not, not superhuman. Now, Westbrook, after the game on TNT, uh, talked about Washington's resilience after a rough start to the season and having to na- uh, navigate through the pandemic. We got a lot of guys in this locker room. Uh, we've been through so much COVID, um, injuries, um, but we stuck with it. You know, we had a, a time in our season where we could have quit, um, but the guys in the locker room didn't do it. Uh, did an amazing job of sticking with each other, uh, sticking to what we do and what we know, and uh, we put ourselves in a position to be in the playoff. Russ Shacker, I said before the game, a great player has never had two bad games in a row. Yeah. We didn't play Russell Westbrook style the first game for whatever reason happened to the best of us. What was your mentality going into this game, too? Um, attack. In Boston, I was terrible. Um, I let my teammates down, and um, I knew it. Um, and coming in tonight, I wanted to set the tone. Um, all aspects of the game is, is what I do, defending, rebounding, passing. Um, it's going to basketball, and tonight I did that. As I mentioned earlier, Bradley Bill, 25 points, even though he sat out the entire fourth quarter since the Wizards had such a gigantic lead. Uh, he went on SportsCenter after the game last night. He talked about Westbrook and what he's meant to the Wizards' run to the postseason. It's amazing to see him do it on a nightly basis, you know, from, from a guy being on the opposite side for eight years, you know, to now playing alongside of him. It's, uh, it's exemplary what he does. You know, it's motivational in a lot of ways. You know, he's an MVP. You know, he had four seasons, four or five seasons where he's averaged a triple-double. You know, so to be able to see his mentality, mental approach to the game, you know, he holds himself to a high standard, and it just trickles down everybody else. You know, he has this bad rep of being a bad teammate. Uh, but I think that's complete BS. You know, mm-hmm. he, he definitely holds himself to a standard, holds his teammates to a standard. Now, Bill also talked about the intensity of fighting for your playoff lives before you even get to the playoffs. It's definitely tough from a standpoint of the importance of the games. It's definitely, like you said, it's not the playoffs, but it isn't the regular season. So it it gives you the feel of being in the playoffs. Every game matters. Every possession matters. And so uh, having that approach and then being in this type of atmosphere is is definitely, it prepares you for, you know, what we will face on Sunday. So Mm -hmm. uh, we played two really tough teams to be able to get to where we are. And we're fortunate we were able to close it out tonight and and, uh, sustain our AC. So Wizards survive and advance, and they get the top seed, 76ers, in the first round, game one of their best-of-seven series this Sunday afternoon in Philly. I do believe that's a a 1 o'clock tip. Wizards lost all three games uh, to the Sixers this season, but two of those losses were by six and just five points. Now, Bill knows the Sixers will be tough, but he says his team can hang. We, we know that they're number one. You know, they're number one for a reason. They've been playing great all year. Uh, all the games that we've played, I mean, we matched up really well. We feel like we could have won two of them um, mm-hmm. for sure. But, you know, it's a whole new slate. You know, 0-0 for everybody in the first of four. You know, so uh, I haven't been in the playoffs in three years. I'm just happy to be back on the stage. <laughs> uh, you know, happy to be back in a position to where we can make noise and win. And uh, We're playing really good basketball, probably playing 
some of the best basketball in the league right now. So, you know, we're going to keep our confidence and continue to, you know, stay together and do what we do. So the seedings pretty much, not pretty much, they did. Uh, they stayed the same in the East. Because when you went into the two play-in games, Boston was the seven seed, Washington was the eight seed. And uh, now they're seven and eight. So that held true to form. The nine and ten teams, Indiana and Charlotte, they're both gone. Their seasons are over. And so now you have the Wiz and the Sixers, and you have Boston taking on uh, the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. And uh, the Celtics uh, head coach, uh, Brad Stevens, very, uh, what's the word? He spoke very glowingly about the Celtics' first-round opponent. They're the kind of team that you're going to have to challenge everything. You're going to have to take care of the basketball. You're going to have to sprint to take away any easy transition baskets. You're going to have to take away easy baskets on cuts and rebounds because if they are able to add up you know, a number of easy baskets that way through their motor and energy and a lack of playing the right way on our part, that then becomes, you know, all those other shots that they make become too much to overcome. So I think you have to first and foremost control those controllables as well as you can, then guard those guys as hard as you can. There will be some tip your cap moments where you're going to have to like nice shot and go down the other end and score. And that's probably the other part about this for us is you're not going to hold these guys to 90 or whatever the case may be. These guys are a high-octane offense. you got to guard them as hard as you can, and then you've got to go and score on the other end. Uh, that first game of that series between the Celtics and Nets Saturday night, 8 o'clock. So uh, head coach Stevens there, uh, very, very respectful of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Kendrick Perkins, who played many, many years in Boston, says, eh, Maybe a little too much respect. Brad Stevens, if you love if you love Brooklyn that much, won't you go coach him? Go join the coaching staff. Listen, I played for the Boston Celtics for eight and a half years, all right? I know the definition is the city of champions. They have something that's called Celtic pride. That wasn't Celtic pride. And no, I wouldn't want to play with Brad Stevens. I cannot go to war with a coach that is sitting up here praising and glorifying an opponent that I'm, I possibly could upset. How about going in, how about saying, hey, we're going to be prepared. We're going to be ready. I know y'all crowning them, but I got enough, and we're going to come to compete. How about saying that, Brad Stevenson? I mean, goddamn, Wick Grosbeck, Steve Pagliuga, Danny Ainge, my guys, this is what we come to? And then, you know, hearing around from the whole Boston area, they like Big Perk. Brad is just a good guy. He's just soft-spoken. It's not in his demeanor. What? Like, what are we talking about? We're trying to win championships. Like, get some fire up under you. Right now, you should be telling the team, let's go shock the world. You got Jason Tatum, a man who just dropped 50, 50 points the other night in a crucial moment. You still got Kimball Walker. You still got some guys that could go out there and compete and, and compete in this series with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, it was just disturbing. I tried to... You know, get down with Brad because people, you know, I think he's good with X's and O's, but this right here took me over the top. Perk, I feel you just a little bit. Maybe Stevens should, you know, show some more fire, but if you're going to call the man out, at least get his name right. (laughs) It's not Brad Stevenson. It's Brad Stevens. Other than that, I got no problem with what he said. It's okay 
to show a team respect. You certainly don't want to give a team that's favored over you bulletin board material, right? But every now and then, you may, may maybe Stevens laid it on just a little too thick with his uh, respect for the Nets. You know, you at least want to come off and act like your team has a chance to win. You don't want to come off as talking about, well, the team we're playing in the first round, they're so unbeatable that why why even bother? Perk may be a little bit too upset over that. Just a little bit over the top. <laughs> but I, I see where he's coming from. You know, you got to be a little more competitive. You got to show a little more fire. You can still you can show respect to your opponent. You can show respect for their game. But at the same time, you know, at least make it look like your team has a chance. But I understand Perk's frustration. Just, just get the man's name right. It's uh, Stevens. All right, time for a break. Got news and weather coming up when we come back. Talking some pucks. Great game last night between the Penguins and the Islanders. Well, unless you were an Islanders fan. And the first round of the PGA Championship was yesterday. We'll talk about that as well. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. This is the Morning Rush. You know, Amanda did mention uh, during her news update the uh, juvenile who was uh, hit by the car yesterday. I know the family. Um, and it just, we, we were, we were at the, the uh, track meet yesterday at Frankfurt and, and the word just kind of started, uh, spreading around and it's just, it's just awful. It, it's, it's hard to even wrap your mind around what, what that family's going through. You know, we, we kind of fallen out of touch with the family over the years, but we used to go to church with them. Uh, my wife, you know, uh, Coached one of the kids in basketball, and it's just it, it's it's heartbreaking when that happens to anybody. But you know, whenever you know, when you know them, it, it obviously hits a little closer to home. And I know there were a lot of uh, a lot of prayers going out for uh, for that. I guess I can't even give the gender for that kid, uh, for that child. I should say. Uh, yesterday, and we just we hope that they're able to pull through, you know. And you, whenever whenever you're a parent, you automatically, you automatically, you don't even try it, you don't even want to do it, but you automatically put your children in that spot, and, and like you you immediately, not that you can even match what they're going through right now, the family, but your your mind immediately goes there, and how how just, I don't know how horrifying. And heart-wrenching that must be. And the only thing you really can do is just hope and, and you pray, if you're the praying type, that uh, this child's able to pull through. It's just, you know, and it, it puts it puts a lot of things in perspective. It, it makes you reevaluate things real quick. Real quick. You know, because I'm sitting there yesterday at this track meet, and it was it was my son's final home meet. 
It was his final event in a Frankfurt uniform of, of any kind. So it was a little bit of a, you know, I felt a little bit melancholy going into it. Because, you know, as I was talking with Mrs. C, you know, with graduation right around the corner, the list of lasts is starting to build up, right? Last thing doing this, last time doing this, last time doing this, you know? Yesterday was his last home meet. There's still a couple meets left, but they're, they'll be on the road. Like, we go to Morgantown f- next Friday, and that, that's he'll run his final race in a Frankfurt uniform. And it's, you know, it's it's bittersweet. But then whenever you get news of what happened with this child yesterday, all of a sudden, it's not that big of a deal. Because whatever I was feeling yesterday pales in comparison to what that family's going through after yesterday's uh, accident. You know, and it just... It's just, it's a sobering thing. It really is. When you think about the family, any family that has to go through something like that. You know, and 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 I say it a lot, and I mean it. You know, we sit here every day, almost every day, every weekday, and we talk about sports, and sometimes I get heated, and I get aggravated, and I get emotional. And I think we all do about sports. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't. Like, I'm going to sit here and talk about the Penguins game last night. And it was a great game, great playoff game. And what is, it doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. We talk about wins and losses, and we get upset when our team loses, and we get emotional when our team loses or wins, but it's just sports. Really? In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. You know, not very often if your team wins and loses that it changes the course of your life, right? It's not often, rarely happens. If you're watching the game or or whatever, you're at a game, that your life gets turned upside down by a sporting event. We treat, for some reason, we treat sports like it's life, life or death. And it really isn't. It really isn't. Sometimes you got to step back and, under, and understand that and realize that. The only thing that's life or death is life or death. That's it. Right? That's when it all boils down to it. Anyway, I just, again, for whatever it's worth, Prayers and thoughts go out to that family, and we hope that child can 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 pull through. Uh, to the hockey game, I, I didn't watch a lot of the hockey game last night because, again, I was at the track meet, and those things last about nine and a half hours. And because it was my son's last home meet, I was in no hurry to go home. A lot of times, because the meets are so long, like people, you know, they'll come to the meet, they'll see their child or children, you know, run the events, and as soon as they're done. They're gone. In the car, down the road. I was in no hurry to leave last night. I just wanted to kind of sit there, even though my boy was done running early, I just wanted to soak it all in. Right? I just wanted to hang out there. Because that was that was going to be the last time that I'd be in that, that stadium watching an event that my son was taking part in. 
So I didn't get home until late third period of that Penguins Islanders game. And if you missed any of the game, well, you missed a good one. The Pens seem to have control. They're up 3-1 after the second period. And then just all hell broke loose in, in the third period. Five goals were scored in the third period. All right, Pens are up 3-1. Islanders score two in a row. They tie at 3-3. Pens go back up 4-3. Islanders tied at 4-4. And then my man, my boy, Brandon Tanev scores the game winner, a ridiculous goal. He swats it out of midair with, I don't know, there might have been three, three and a half minutes left, and Penns win the game. There was 3.36 left in regulation. And Tanev, who, from, from aside from the obvious players, like, you know, going back to Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager and now Sidney Crosby, the great players. Tanev may be my most favorite Penguin of all time. Just the way he plays. You talk about a guy who plays with massive intensity and just a drive that you just don't get a lot from a, from a lot of players. He's a maniac. I mean, they call him Turbo Time for a reason. And he quit. I mean, a lot of people complain when it, when they signed when the Penguins signed him to a six year deal uh, from Winnipeg. People are like, "Why are they spending this much money on this guy? He's a fourth liner. You know, why the long term deal?" And every every single time he steps on the ice, it seems like he proves it. Like he's out to prove that he's worth that contract. And yeah, he's a fourth liner, and yeah, he doesn't score a lot, but he scored last night. He scored a massive goal last night. The game winner. And now the Pens have a 2-1 series lead. Tanev, just, he just plays. And I, I, we see this in every sport, right? Every sport and every level. There's, there, there's a player or two that just have a motor and a drive that just won't stop, right? We, we see it in middle school and high school and college. And, and the pro, we, we see it everywhere. There's just a couple players that just stand out from the rest of the pack because of they just won't quit. They won't stop. They never slow down. Tanev is one of those players. I love the guy. He he might be my he he may already be top five favorite penguins for me all time. Just because of the way he plays. And he came up big last night. Jeff Carter, oh by the way, two goals for the Pens last night. Of course, the Penguins got him at the trade deadline from the Kings. He may be the best trade line acquisition out of anybody in the entire league this year. He has 12 goals for the Pens already since coming over the deadline. He is already fourth on the team with 12 goals scored, and he's only been there for about a month. And look, he had pedigree. He won a couple cups with Los Angeles before coming over. Uh, to the Pens, so he knows how to win. And people, and again, people are like, oh, well, it's only Jeff Carter. He's like 30-something, 35, 36 years old. He's, he can still skate. He's still got the hands. Two ridiculous goals last night. I don't know. And I even put this on Twitter last night. Find me one deadline acquisition better than Jeff Carter going to the Pens. 
So Penn's the big win, 2-1 series lead, a chance to put a stranglehold on the series game four tomorrow. Reminder, game four tonight, Capitals-Bruins. The Bruins can take a stranglehold on that series. They lead 2-1. And that game can be heard right here on this very station. Pre-game is 6-15, a puck drop shortly after uh, 6-30. Uh, back to the Pens and Islanders real quick. I, 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 I can't guarantee it, but I have a pretty good feeling that there's going to be a change in net for the Islanders tomorrow in Game 4 because Simeon Varlamov, was, he's just been terrible this series, for, the, for most of the series. Gave up five goals last night. He only made 22 saves. And I got a feeling that uh, Barry Trotz is going to go with Ilya uh, Sorokin tomorrow. And perhaps for the rest of the series. Because Varlamov just isn't getting it done for the Islanders. Not that I'm complaining. All right, uh, one more break, and then back to wrap up our number one. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN ready. No, it's not. That's not the right one. I knew it was going to happen sooner or later. Hey, got it. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Wrapping up uh, our number one of the Morning Rush here on this Friday morning. I knew I was going to do that going into break. It was going to happen sooner or later. Almost made it through the whole week without saying the old station name. It's It was bound to happen. Uh, just over an hour from now, second round of the PGA Championship gets underway from the Ocean Course in South Kakalaka. In yesterday's first round, Canadian Corey Connors shot a 5-under-67. He has a two-shot lead over a half a dozen players. Keegan Bradley uh, and Brooks – I lost my place. Keegan Bradley and Brooks Kepka are part of that group at 3-under. Here's Connors after his first round. Yeah, it was you know fairly stress-free. Uh, got a few putts to go in uh, early on in the round, and – uh, hit a lot of really solid golf shots, kept uh, the ball in the fairway for the most part, and uh, hit some solid iron shots. So I uh, didn't get myself in uh, too many tricky spots, uh, which you can easily find out here. So overall, uh, pretty low stress for uh, all things considered. We have talked so much about the wind. What were the conditions like for you? Yeah, it was obviously blowing pretty good. Um, got to experience that the last few days in preparation. The wind direction was pretty similar today. and. Yeah, I just you know, drew from my uh, plan of attack uh, in the practice days and, um, and I had some expectations of what the ball was going to do uh, on some of the end-of-the-wind shots and some of the downwind shots, and um, I was able to execute some good ones today. You know, Speaking of that wind, only seven players broke 70 yesterday. That's the fewest for a first round of a PGA championship since 2002, and of course, wind had a lot to do with it. And will very likely be a factor the rest of the weekend. Curtis Strange on how to handle the breeze on the ocean course. So much we talk so much about the wind. How much the wind blows, how strongly it would blow tomorrow afternoon. This is such a tough golf course. It's a game of survival, really. But what you have to do here is when you get into those tough holes, into the wind, Mm -hmm. you have to drive it well into the fairway because he plays so long. And then you have to take advantage of the downwind holes. So only seven break 70, eight players shot a first-round 70 and sit three shots behind Connors of Phil Mickelson 
one of those eight that shot 70. In the last couple of months, I've been starting to play good golf, but I've had, uh, like I was saying earlier, a little bit trouble you know, staying present on every shot for, for the entire round. And uh, I thought I did a pretty good job of that today after I got off to kind of a rough start of three over through six, but I was able to kind of right the ship on the downwind holes, the holes you can take advantage of. I ended up burning the two par five, seven, 11 that you, that uh, are good opportunities downwind and, and snuck one in on 10 as well. And then I played the last five coming home that are tough holes pretty good at making a couple of birdies there. The tournament favorite Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas each shot a 75. Dustin Johnson, a 76. Bryson DeChambeau recovered from four straight bogues to finish uh, at even par 70. Again, uh, round two, uh, teeing off just over an hour from now. Siwoo Kim, Jim Harmon, and Danny Bain, uh, the first three teeing off. No, that's not right. That's like, I got my hours mixed up. That's like eight minutes from now. (laughs) See, this is where I'm all messed up. This is where the time change has me completely screwed up. The show gets moved up. It gets moved back. This is the first week at our new time, 6 to 8. I'm I'm just all messed up. So they're teeing off in about 7 minutes. Now that I think about it, when the show started, I said that Joe Shuda has a Rush Friday feature shortly after 8 o'clock. That is false. It's what it used to be. But that's not true. (laughs) Uh, Because Amanda will be on with Tri-State today at 8 o'clock. Joe and his Rush Friday feature will be on shortly after 7 o'clock as he catches up with former Baltimore Oriole Kiko Garcia. Still working out the Kings, folks. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? With change comes adaptation and adjustment. And, you know, first four days were okay, right? Today, for I guess it's Friday. It's Friday. My, I left half of my brain at home. It's usually what I do. Some working on just half capacity. 50% capacity, like most uh, stadiums today. 50% My brain is 50% capacity. So that second round of the PGA uh, tees off right after the top of the hour. And again, as uh, that round begins and players start finishing up, you know, the first two or three holes of the round, we'll try to keep you updated as uh, that second round progresses. All right. Who do we have? Oh, well, I already said about the Capitals. I, I get another thing I get used to. This is our first year with the Capitals is trying to navigate through who do we have on tonight? You know, it, it's I always have to play that game every day. Who's on tonight? Nationals or the Capitals? Capitals or the Nationals? Well, since it's playoff action, we got the right. We got the Capitals tonight. Then we'll have the Nationals tomorrow. And then we'll have the Capitals on Sunday. Fair enough. All right. Coming up next hour, we're going to rock around the region. A whole lot of stuff to get to: the Wizards, the Bucks, the Nats, the Orioles, some Washington football team news, some high school basketball news, some high school news in Maryland. All kinds of stuff. And as I mentioned, we'll have Joe Shuda and his Rush Friday feature after that with former Oriole Kiko Garcia and much more. That's coming up next hour. Stick around for that, please, and thank you. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
This is the Morning Rush. In the NFL. Slow down on Industrial Boulevard. Goodness! Did you hear that? They're just, just flying by. Like it's a super speedway. Like the speed limit is 80 on Industrial Boulevard. It's, what is it, 30? 35? I don't remember. Slow down! Everybody's in a hurry to get nowhere these days. Anyway, in the NFL, you know what? This is what you get when you put a radio station between a busy road like Industrial Boulevard and the the train yard behind you. You get noises. The Washington football team released longtime starting right tackle Morgan Moses yesterday after granting him permission to seek a trade earlier this week. Washington saves $7.75 million in salary cap space. Moses, who had two years left on his contract, started every game for Washington, mostly at right tackle, uh, since 2015. In Major League Baseball, the slumping Pirates took on the slumping Braves for the first of four games in Atlanta. And a swing and a liner. That's through a base hit. Newman drives in the go-ahead run. Frazier up at second. RBI single for Kevin Newman. The Pirates lead 5-4 in the 10th. The call on the Pirates radio network. Pirates tacked on one more. They beat the Braves in 10, 6-4. Jacob Stallings hit a two-run homer. Adam Frazier, four more hits for Pittsburgh, which snapped a three-game losing streak. Atlanta has lost seven of its last 10. Elsewhere, the Nationals we're looking for a series split with the Cubs in Chicago. Here comes the 0-2. Hap hits one in the air to deep left center field. Going back is Stevenson. He looks up. This is gone. Number two on the afternoon for Hap. And the Cubs extend the lead. 5-2 to over the Nationals here in the fifth. The call on the Cubs radio network. 5-2 the final. Cubs win to take three of four in the series. Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber hit back-to-back homers for Washington which wrapped up its seven-game road trip at 3-4. and four. They kick off a nine-game homestand tonight with the Orioles. Well, not all nine games with the Orioles, just the first series. Anyway, you know. Uh, speaking of the Orioles, in Baltimore, Tampa Bay ran its win streak to seven games with a 10-1 win over the O's. Uh, Joey Wendell homered twice for the Rays, who swept the Orioles at Camden Yards for the first time since 2013. Baltimore managed just two hits off of Rich Hill and two relievers. The Rays outscored the O's 32-14 and outhit them 43-22 in the three-game series. And in the NBA, the Wizards and Pacers played a do-or-die or, yeah, game last night in D.C. I swear it'll, it'll get better. Winner clinched the eight seed and a date with the 76ers. The loser went home. Martin makes a run. Left side floater blocked by Len. The seventh block shot for the Wizards tonight. Here's Beal on the other end. A three is good. Bradley Beal with a triple. It has been all Wizards up 30 points in a winner-take-all game. The call on ESPN Radio. Wizards blow out the Pacers 142-115 to to keep their season alive. Russell Westbrook close to another triple-double, 18 points, 8 rebounds, 15 assists. Bradley Bill had 25 points for Washington. So they clinched the 8 seed. They will take on the top seed, Philadelphia, this weekend, game number one of the best of seven series, a Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock in Philly. And that is your very involved 
Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, today is Friday, which means, once again, my main man, Joe Shuda, has another Rush Friday feature. You can get all of Joe's stuff on his website, 2MinuteTO.com. That's the number 2MinuteTO.com. Today's feature guest, it's a good one. Well, they're all good. Former Baltimore Oriole Kiko Garcia. Talking about what he's doing now. Talking about his days in Baltimore. uh, Playing against the Pirates in the World Series. Talking about playing for Earl Weaver. So here it is, Joe Shuda, our Rush Friday feature with former O, Kiko Garcia. It's time for the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. My guest on the Rush Friday feature spent all or parts of 10 years in the majors, five with the Orioles. Kiko Garcia, thanks for joining us from the left coast. How are you? Doing good, Joe. Doing well. Sell me on California. Now they talk about the traffic and the high taxes. So what's the trade-off? Beautiful weather? That's the only trade-off <laughs> is that we get great weather. It's not as nice as Southern Cal. I live up in Northern Cal, which is about 30 miles outside of San Francisco. My wife right now is down visiting my daughter in San Diego. And so if you really want great weather, that's where you want to be. San Diego is pretty much 75 degrees year-round, so it's heaven. Let's talk about growing up. You have so much pressure today on kids. So many parents think that their kids are going to get a college scholarship. They're going to turn pro. Many times it's not realistic. Nonetheless, how was it for you growing up? Well, that wasn't even a consideration. I grew up with the Giants in our area. So I got to listen to you know, the radio and hear about Mays, McCovey, Cepeda, and Juan Marichal and all these great players as a youngster. And then towards my high school years is when the Oakland A's came into town. And then you're you're hearing about Reggie Jackson, Joe Rudy, Catfish Hunter, all these great players there. And so we were just growing up, we were just emulating all these guys. And we had no idea (laughs) what it was going to take to get into professional baseball. Around 15 or 16, most kids figure out if they have above-average athletic ability. At what point did you think that you could play at a higher level? Well, I think it was right about then. I did well as a youngster in Little League, and I was always one of the best players. The next stage, at 13 to 15, I was starting to get bigger and stronger, so I was already being known as a really good ball player. But I guess it wasn't until I got into high school, and that's when, because I was a freshman playing varsity, and then I started realizing that, okay, I guess I can play with the older guys. So I started figuring that out, and I remember one day going out to the field, and there was 10 to 20 scouts out there, and I had no idea they were out there looking at me, but that was the case. In fact, I remember one of the scouts was a Pittsburgh scout. And I was thinking, man, that would be cool because I loved Roberto Clemente. And I was thinking, man, that would be great if I could go there. It didn't work out. You were drafted by the Orioles in the third round. You're 17 years of age. You then go to the minors, and you were one of the better guys in your area. Now you're with all of the better guys. Were there times when you said to yourself, do I really belong here? And I talked to a lot of guys who were really frustrated because it was tough for them the first couple of weeks. They maybe called home and said, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm going to just quit. And their father or mother said, hang in there. What about you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in those days, I think the minor leagues had five to six teams. So, yeah, you're looking at all the best players from all the different colleges and high schools, and 
I just figured there's no way I'm going to quit. They're going to have to cut me in order for me to leave. And But, yeah, I looked at it and I thought, man, there are some great players out here. September the 11th, 1976, your debut in the major leagues. What do you recall mm-hmm. from that? Well, I remember I played, I think I played in both games of the doubleheader. And I went 0 for 4, I think, in the first game. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I got a hit off of Jim Colburn in the second game. And I remember we were golfing one day <laughs> and I, <laughs> I let him know. I said, man, I got my first big league hit off of you. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was laughing, but it was cool. I'd never seen him and I didn't realize he lived out here in California and we just happened to be in a golfing celebrity thing. You have played 11 games in 1976, the following year in 65. Then eventually in 1978, you're starting to come on. You played well. You hit 263. What was starting to happen with you? Were you gaining more confidence and feeling that you could make it as a major leaguer? So many guys go up for a cup of coffee or whatever, and then they don't last long. What about you? What were you feeling then? Yeah, you know, the more you play, and, and one of the things that Earl did was, that was early in 1978, in 77, he used to bring me in late in the game for late inning defense. And so I might get one at bat or I might not get any, but at least I was playing in the eighth and ninth inning, which, you know, that's when the game's on the line. I don't know if he was doing that to help me or or what, but it helped me. Mentally, it helped me because I got to finish and close the game. And so when I started more, and uh, it was funny because then he would pull me out around the seventh or eighth inning and bring in Mark Lander, who was, uh, you know, a six or seven or eight time gold glove winner, shortstop. And I used to talk to Earl and go, Earl, you used to put me in in the late inning. Now you're pulling me out. And, uh, you know, of course, Earl always had an answer. And he would say, um, well, I got a gold glove winner there. What am I going to do? Just let him sit there? <laughs> so he would just tell me, just keep hitting and things will work out. 1979, and we'll talk about the World Series. You most likely would have been the most valuable player except for the comeback by the Pirates. That had to be a great time for you. I see what was going right during that whole World Series, and then how difficult was it losing it? Yeah, no, that was the ball bounces. It bounces how it bounces, and we were so close. And, you know, I was just having one of those moments, you know, where I was seeing the ball well, and I wasn't nervous, and I was just, playing as well as I could and I left everything out there and so you know it was tough losing it really was but honestly you know I did everything that I possibly could our team did as well as we could I mean Pittsburgh just it just came on like like a tidal wave so give them all the credit and at the same time I remember Chuck Tanner's mom had died and so I I know during that time they all rallied around that and so they had you know this huge resurgence and hey man those guys could hit so there was no doubt about that you know it was a great series and I was just really happy to be part of it. We are joined by Kiko Garcia. 10-year major league career, five with the Orioles. You're traded to Houston, the 81-82 you spent with Houston. What was the feeling being traded? A lot of guys feel as if a team doesn't want me anymore, but obviously the other team does want you, but you were with that organization so long. What were your feelings? Well, I was really sorry to leave the Orioles. That was By that point, I had been in the organization for nine years, I think. So all the people that I had come up with that were still there, I mean, you know, we were tight. 
you know, to be traded, I mean, it was it was like a, a whole new venture in my life. And, you know, so I was looking forward to it. Sorry to leave, but I was looking forward to going, going to a, a great pitching staff. I mean, that's how I looked at it because I didn't know it at the time. But, I mean, we had Nolan Ryan, but what I didn't know was that J.R. Richard, his, um, the stroke that he had suffered in 1980, it was debilitating. I mean, he was never going to come back from that stroke. So for a moment there, I thought, now we're going to have the two of the hardest throwing pitchers in both leagues on the same team and at the same time. And we had Joe Necro and Vern Rule, and eventually got Bob Nett. We had a really, really strong pitching staff. Uh, and then we picked up Don Sutton. I was loving it. I mean, because I loved the staff that we had in Baltimore. And I thought, man, we we're going to do well. You went to the Phillies in 83, 84, and 85. What are you thinking about your career at that point? Do you see it winding down? Do you say to yourself, I need to start thinking about life after baseball? Where were you there? The thing that happened to me, when I was in Baltimore, I had hurt my lower back. And it started... You know, I finally, in, I think it was in 83, what I, what happened is I had slipped a disc, and, and back in those days, they didn't have MRIs, so I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that I, I was in a lot of pain, and I had a really hard time being able to bend over. So at the time when I went to the Phillies, I didn't see it. I didn't see I, I was still young. I was barely hitting 30, and I thought, all I could tell was that... <laughs> You know, everybody was telling me, man, you know, you're not running as fast as you used to. And, you know, I mean, I could still catch it if the ball was hit to me, but I didn't have my range that I used to have. And so I guess I was the one that didn't see it. But by the time I was, you know, hitting 32, I knew my legs were getting kind of burnt out. So it kind of hit me right square in the nose, you know, when I finally got my release. But you know, I thought about going back into the minors and trying to get another shot, or I think I even had an offer to go to Japan, but I just thought, no, I'm just going to start looking. And my agent at the time was telling hey, you better start looking at, you know, life after baseball. And so it took me a little while, but I made the transition, and I've been happy. I mean, I had two daughters and been married for 38 years, and so I know that going back into baseball at that time, it, it would have put a lot of stress on my family, because like, it was a young family at the time. I felt I made a really good decision to stay out. If you could go back and change anything about your career, what would you do? If the MRI had been invented, I would have gone and gotten an MRI right away when I hurt back, just had that slip disc put back into place. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's it. I mean, everything else that happened to me was... I just took it, you know, and so I don't have any qualms about anything that happened. I mean, I've met great people. I met some jerks here and there, but overall, I thought it was just the best time of my life. And I have great cherished memories from that time. What have you been doing baseball-wise since you left Major Leagues? Well, baseball-wise, it's baseball slash, I coach girls fast pitch softball now. And, you know, I had two daughters, so my daughters played when they were young. And then, you know, I started coaching them probably in their early teens. And there's just a need. The boys get all the best coaches and the girls get you know, whatever. And so I just felt that there was a need there. And when I switched to coaching the girls, it was like, well, this is where I'm needed. So I started coaching and I've been doing that for the past 25 years or more and I love it so as far as baseball I help certain people whenever they 
need some help, but I don't coach it anymore. Because I did for a while, but when my kids were young, I switched over. You look at the fact that you were one of fewer than 20,000 of you in the major leagues worldwide, and that's got to be something you're very proud of also. Definitely. I mean, it is something that I know probably every, I don't know nowadays, but I know back in my time, in my era, every boy used to dream about being a major league player. I mean, it was so, you know, it was pre-free agency. And so we knew every stat of every player. We knew every player on every team, you know, I mean, because there was no trading, nobody playing out their options and moving on. Whoever was on that team, they were there. So you got to know every single thing about all the players on your favorite team. And so, you know, that's pretty intimate, really. And it's not that way anymore. And, you know, I guess it's okay, but I just grew up in a different time. And I thought that's what made it so special. Baseball has an image problem. The game's too slow. It's boring. Young people don't like it or whatever. What would you change about it? What needs to be done? Well, you know, I would do some stuff that they do in fast pitch softball. You know, they have courtesy runners for <laughs> for pitchers and catchers. And that way you get more players into the game. You can have substitutions. I would put in the courtesy runner rule. And then that way, you know, you add a speedster into your lineup for that pitcher or catcher. Because, you know, it just adds a little something to it. And, I mean, off the top of the head, that's one change that I would do. Just make it more interesting. When you look back at all these years, can you relate a funny or bizarre story from years of baseball? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, I, you know, I did. You, I know you asked me to do this, but I can't think of anything right now. But What about your manager in Baltimore, Earl Weaver? I mean, I can think of a couple things. I don't know if they're going to be funny or not, but I remember one time when I was playing in Baltimore, and uh, I, was, I happened to be playing this game, and Earl was arguing with one of the umpires and so we all kind of came to the mound and one of the umpires came there i'm not going to name names and he goes oh he's going to get a toss and as soon as earl came out to the mound <laughs> some umpire tossed him and it was just that quick and that ridiculous it's like he didn't even say anything to him he said you're out of here <laughs> and, and then earl went to zirko again and but he had warned us the umpire just said ah if he comes up here i'm gonna throw him were the players afraid of Earl? No, not at all. No. The one thing Earl was, I mean, Earl Earl just wanted to win. That was his utmost feeling about the game. He just wanted to win. And so we knew where he was coming from. And Earl was very honest. And so there was no, you know, if you talked to him, he would tell you right up, straight up, you know, what you needed to hear and or what he wanted to tell you. And so, if anything, most people, you know, Earl was, only five foot nine or something or smaller. I'm not sure. So he didn't intimidate anybody. He just, <laughs> he was just Earl. You're getting people track you down for autographs, fan mail? Yeah, I still get a fair amount. And a good friend of mine out in Philly, he sends me on card shows every now and then. And I mean, I'm still involved doing autographs and stuff like that. Finally, Kiko, what's the future for you? My future? Well, I'm, a grandfather to three kids now, and so I'm going to be working diligently, working with these youngsters on either be baseball players or softball players, whatever, and I'm looking to stay healthy. I just took a spill the other day and broke my wrist, so that I'm healing, and my wife and I were getting ready to retire. I'm pretty much retired now, but she's still working for another couple of years. And, yeah, we want to just kind of kick back and enjoy our kids and grandkids and 
live life to the fullest. Thanks for joining us on the Rush Friday feature, bringing back memories of the, quote, good old days. Best of luck to you, and bring some of that warm weather over here on a regular basis for those of us in the Northeast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I know you guys would would love it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Sure. This is the Morning Rush. Got to do some house cleaning here real quick. We heard Amanda Mangan's news update just a short while ago. That update was brought to you by Schroeder Industries. They're conducting a walk-in interviews today from 11 until 2. Also, you may have heard a spot there. Uh, those are commercials. We call them spots in the business. About turtle bids. Uh, the newest auction beginning this Monday. You can save a ton of money on a bunch of stuff, including a 2019 Honda Monkey, which is a motorcycle, from what I understand, from Timbrook Honda. Bidding starts at 65% off the retail price on that and a bunch of other items. Go to the website, turtlebids.com, and get yourself ready for the auction starting this Monday. And tomorrow... There will be a car wash at the Cumberland YMCA from 10 until 2. It's being held by the YMCA Sea Otters. And it will help cover the travel costs for Daniel, the real deal. His last name's Deal. He is headed to Omaha, Nebraska next month for the Olympic trials. Cost of the car wash is uh, whatever you donate. So there's not a set price. It's whatever you want to donate. Uh, Daniel, who, from all accounts, from the story I've read, a tremendous swimmer. He's a freshman in Allegheny High School. He's already set a couple of national age group records. And he's headed to the Olympic trials next month. I reached out. We're going to try to get him on the show. We're going to try to get an interview, get him on the show, to talk about, you know, why swimming? Because he played some other sports uh, as a younger a younger youth. You know, trying to get an idea of his, his workout regimen, his, you know, hitting the pool every day, what's it like to compete, you know, what's going to be like going to the trial, all that kind of stuff. So hopefully we can get Daniel the real deal on the show at some point. Again, that car wash at the Cumberland YMCA tomorrow from 10 until 2. I should trademark that. I should trademark it just in case it happens. In case this kid goes national, international, worldly. In case he becomes the next Michael Phelps, if not better. Daniel the Real Deal. Then I have to take credit for all of it. The name, that is. Nothing else. All right, uh, some Pirates news here. As we move on, you remember uh, Felipe Vasquez? Remember him? Guy used to be the closer for the Pirates before uh, he got in trouble with the law. Well, he is in more trouble. He was found guilty yesterday of statutory sexual assault, sexual abuse of children, and child pornography, among other charges. Uh, A jury in Westmoreland County, PA, found Vasquez guilty on 15 counts 
which also included corruption of minors. It did find whatever it's for whatever it's worth, they found him not guilty on 10 counts of unlawful contact or communication with a minor. The girl in the case was 13 at the time of the accusations. Vasquez was 26. His defense was that uh, she misled him about her age. This happened three years ago because Vasquez is now 29. And the jury heard testimony from Vasquez, closing arguments yesterday, deliberated for about four hours, and reached a verdict he is guilty on 15 counts. He also faces additional charges in Florida and Missouri in connection with his alleged behavior with uh, the girl. So there you go. Vasquez. I completely forgot about this guy until today, until I saw the headline. It says the investigation began after the girl's mother found pictures from Vasquez on her uh, daughter's device and called police. The mother also reportedly sent a message to Vasquez that told him that the girl was a minor. So uh, Felipe Vasquez, he is listed as suspended right now for Major League Baseball. You might also just, you know, remove that tag because he ain't coming back ever. Some positive Pirates news. I know that's that's very rare. Adam Frazier is absolutely kicking butt and taking names, in case you haven't noticed. He had four more hits last night. He leads the National League with 58 hits. Since April 28th, was that three weeks ago? He is hitting 386 in 83 at bats. With he has yeah, 386, eight doubles in his last 20 games. He is absolutely raking. And what's funny about Frazier is he, like a lot of athletes, he is very superstitious. And he does things from, he says he's he's very careful to put his toothpaste and toothbrush in the same spot to begin each day. He puts his pants on the same way every day. He, he, he has to pay attention to what foot he puts on the bench to tie his cleats every day. To what batting glove he puts on first to where he sprays the sticky stuff on his hands. To every, he, he even changes shower stalls. Like he takes a shower in one stall and he gets a couple hits. He has to take a shower in that, in that same stall. If, he said if the shower doesn't have hits, he goes to another shower. So whatever superstitions that this cat is doing now, keep him up because he is just hitting the ball all over the place. Again, 58 hits, leading the National I think that's third in all of Major League Baseball. Tops in the National League. Which, of course, means he'll be traded in a month and a half from now. And he's not a power hitter. He only has one home run this year. He's, only, he's driven in 14, but he's hitting 339. So good on Adam Frazier. I hope the Pirates keep him around. I doubt they do, but you never know. Yeah, actually, I do know. He's not going to stick around. Somebody's going to want, if he keeps on hitting like this for the next month and a half, somebody's going to want to snatch him up. Some some contender 
which you know won't be the Pirates. They're going to they're going to throw some prospects Pittsburgh, and they're just going to do what they usually do. And I like Frazier. He seems like a good guy. But that's just the way it is. Whenever you're, rebu- you're rebuilding like the Pirates, that's what happens. You take what you can get from your best players. And Frazier will more than likely be on the block uh, come trade deadline for sure. All right. Time for one last break of the show. When we come back, we'll check out the player who delivered and we'll wrap it up on this funky Friday morning. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. As always, well, I shouldn't say always because I missed yesterday's. Let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about some turbo time? Aston Reese's centering pass to flex behind the net. Back to Aston Reese to the point. Latanga shot deflection atop the crease. They score. Brandon Tannen bats it in out of midair. Turbo time puts the pens in front late in the third. The call on the Penguins Hockey Network, Brandon Tanev, my man, scored the game-winning goal with just 3.36 left in regulation to give the Pens a 5-4 win over the Islanders in Game 3 of their best-of-seven series, which Pittsburgh now leads 2-1 turbo time. Brandon Tanev, the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. One player hoping to deliver for the, I can't believe I'm saying this, the Jaguars this season. It's Tim Tebow, who was officially signed by the Jags yesterday. It had been reported, it had been rumored, it had been speculated upon. Yesterday, it's official. The Jags signed Tebow as a tight end. Reuniting him with his former head coach of Florida, Urban Meyer. Uh, Tebow will wear number 85 whenever camp opens or workouts, whenever they start. Because quarterback Gardner Minshew has Tebow's usual number 15. Tebow is going to turn 34 in August. Hasn't played football since 2015. Actually, the 2015 preseason. He didn't even play the regular season in 2015. He spent the last six years as a broadcaster on the SEC Network. Now, of course, anytime Tim Tebow's involved in anything, people lose their minds. He's just one of those guys that people either love or, for whatever reason, hate. I, I just, it's, I understand why people hate most players. I never got I never got the Tebow hate. I just I never did. I never understood what this dude did to garner so much dislike from people. I don't get it. But then Tebow gets signed now and everybody's losing their mind. Oh, I can't believe Tebow gets another shot. Oh, he's Urban Meyer's boy. Oh, he's gonna take a spot from a real tight end and on and on. And people were just like going crazy. And I don't understand it. But I guess 
We don't have to. As long as the Jaguars understand it and Urban Meyer understands it, that's all that matters right now. And uh, ESPN's Bobby Carpenter uh, says that Urban Meyer uh, always uh, has a plan for everything. Listen, it's one thing to bring a guy in, and I've watched a lot of coaches bring a guy in and to work him out and to put him on the 90-man in the offseason. It's a whole nother deal to put him on your 53-man roster. Right. Like, and so he's not going to sit there and give him special treatment. He knows that that would erode the locker room. Like Urban, Urban is smart. He, he may not always do it, things that people think like are maybe the smartest on the outside, but he always has a reason for kind of everything he's not doing. Uh-huh. And so I don't think he's going to, into this like completely blind as to how this will impact the locker room. You know, he knows that there's going to be a lot of media, a lot of fanfare away for, with this. And, you know, I, I'd heard this point brought up, and I, so I can't claim it as my own, but the more you talk about Tim Tebow, the less you're talking about Trevor Lawrence, True. your number one overall pick. And so if you can kind of deflect a lot of that off of the guy who's supposed to be the man and let him kind of develop in the shadows, I think that that also is not the worst thing in the world either. Mm, that could be it. It could be a PR stunt. It could be something simply to make people talk about Jacksonville and make the Jags relevant once again because they haven't been relevant in in a while. Whatever the reason that the Jags signed Tim Tebow and whether you love this signing or whether you absolutely hate it, Carpenter says in the end it really won't matter anyway. I don't think he's going to make the team. Right. I, I just think the odds are long on that trying to bring in a guy for maybe culture. Is there someone else you could have that would better fill it? I mean, I've watched coaches bring in guys who you know, have been a guy that's been with them somewhere before, and they're bringing them in simply kind of to echo the message in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, The problem is Tim doesn't necessarily have that pedigree in the NFL to where I think a lot of people are going to feel like you know, it's, it's maybe a, a, a respected voice. He's going to come in, he's gr- going to grind, he's going to work. I don't know if, know if it's necessarily the best thing uh, for them to do. I think Urban may have been reaching on this sure. a little bit, but if he makes the team, I'll say this, if he makes the team, it will truly be a testament to him and what he's been able to do. If he makes the team, he's going to earn it. I, I don't, as much as I didn't like the Urban Meyer hire at Jacksonville, I don't think he's a terrible coach. I don't think he's going to give Tebow a spot just because they're boys from back in the day in Florida. I just don't. Urban Meyer still has a job to do. He still has to be head coach of Jacksonville. If Tebow earns a spot, he's going to earn it. I truly believe that. Now, is he going to? I don't. I, I just, I mean, he's going to be 34. He's never played tight end before in his life. He's There's no denying Tebow's a heck of an athlete. right? I know he didn't make the bigs in baseball, but I mean he had a decent run, uh, kind of a decent run in the minors with the Mets, right? If I would not be, you know, fall off the chair surprised if he made the Jags. I just don't. I don't see it happening. And I, I mentioned this last week, you know, for all the people who say, you know, oh, you know, he's never played tight end before in his life. He's going to take a spot from a true tight end. He's look. If you get beat out by a thirty-four-year-old Tim Tebow for a tight end spot, then you're not a good tight end. And maybe you don't deserve that spot, right? He's not going to—he's not going to just steal somebody's spot. He's going to earn it. And if you can't beat him out for that spot, well, then you stink, and you deserve what you get. That's that simple. I personally can't wait to see it happen, to see how this all plays out, to see if he can actually make the roster. I don't think he will, 
but I think it would be great if he did. All right, don't forget, Capitals playoff hockey tonight. Trying to tie this series up against the Bruins. Uh, pre-game 6.15, puck drop after 6.30. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday, 6 a.m. sharp. This is a Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Ah, I see you.